Chapter Thirteen of East by West: A Journey in the Recess, Volume Two. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirteen: The Holy City. The railway journey from Bombay to Benares is accomplished in two nights and the greater parts of two days. The line passes through a level country, which at this season of the year is piteously parched. There are many signs that in the rainy season the supply of water is even embarrassingly rich. But the river beds which drain the plain at brief intervals are now dry lands, and the sign of former water makes the country look more desolate. Only the trees bear up against the prevailing drought. These, deep rooted in the soil and profiting by the plentiful summer rains, have begun to take on a weary look but on the whole they are wonderfully green and relieve the landscape from absolute barrenness for the rest there is no sign of life save the thin cattle forlornly nosing the burnt stubble that here and there fringes the dusty soil what a scene for dimmed eyes gazing through gaunt cheeks body and soul steeped in the sickness of hopeless hunger with the memory of famine in the past and dull apprehensions in the future, it is no wonder that the people one sees in the villages through which the trains pass should have a look of settled melancholy and eyes and mouths that never laugh. It was foretold when railways were projected in India that they would prove a failure because the Hindus of caste would never suffer the contamination risked in herding in a third-class carriage. This foreboding has been entirely falsified. It is the third-class traffic that is not only the backbone but the flesh and blood of Indian railways. All the trains on the trunk lines are much longer than on English railways, and the ordinary allowance of first-class accommodation is two carriages, of second-class one. The rest are third-class carriages, and during a railway journey of three thousand miles I never saw them otherwise than overcrowded. In India, partly owing to the climate and chiefly to the long distances travelled, the night trains are more populated than those which run through the day this becomes a serious matter to the traveller who has lain down to take his only chance of a night's rest at every station on all the lines we found a crowd of from twenty to fifty natives waiting for the train if they could have taken their places quietly this would not have been a matter of general interest but the shouting and shrieking the running to and fro is at first alarming suggesting that their object is not to take their seats but to storm the train the difficulty of the situation and its ludicrousness if one were inclined to take a humorous view having been suddenly wakened up for the fifth time in a run of fifty miles are added to by the appearance of the newcomers in india every one travels with bed and baggage and to see half a hundred hindus wildly racing up and down a platform with their bedclothes in their arms or wrapped around their body is exciting till constant repetition wears off the edge of novelty in other ways than that of commerce railways are doing a great work in india they are breaking down the barriers of caste 
if a brahmin or a jain wants to go from bombay to jabalpur delhi calcutta or madras he must make his account with the certainty of finding himself at some point of his journey jammed between an outcast and a mohammedan he must even unless he is content to starve eat before them and having done this in special circumstances without finding the heavens fall worse things from the brahminical point of view may follow benares is not only the holiest but the oldest city in india before christ was born benares was great when babylon was struggling with nineveh for supremacy says mr sherring when tyre was planting her colonies when athens was growing in strength before rome had become known or greece had contended with persia or nebuchadnezzar had captured jerusalem and the inhabitants of judea had been carried into captivity benares had risen to greatness if not to glory nay she may have heard of the fame of solomon and have sent her ivory her apes and her peacocks to adorn his palaces while partly with her gold he may have overlaid the temple of the lord in spite of british domination steam launches on the river and railway trains crossing the ganges by iron bridges benares preserves its old-time aspect and is with the exception of an english church a mission-house a college a police station and the cantonments of british soldiery much as it was when akbar reigned one railway does not presume to enter the town but has its terminus on the further side of the ganges the other the oud and rohilkund enters from the town side but stops on the outskirts and the bazaars and temples have it all their own way in the town the river is crossed by a wretched bridge of boats whose poverty of accommodation is made up for by excessive toll the upper portion of the town near the english settlement is liberally laid out in squares green lawns after the rain but just now so bare and brown that it is difficult to believe blades of grass could ever burst through its barrenness still the trees are green and are peopled with a lively race of squirrels who dodge the passer-by peeping round the trunk to see if he is really coming and disappearing amid the boughs with a nimbleness that makes nothing of their bushy tails there is a great deal of animal and bird life about the streets safe in the freedom from harm secured by the gentle creed of the hindu the sparrows chirp about the roadways and almost stand to be passed over on the footpaths two grey kites benignantly eye them from a ruined wall as if they would not touch them even if someone else would kill them on the trees in the temples and promenading the roofs of the bazaars occasionally entering by open windows and taking pot-luck are thousands of monkeys sacred from stick or stone these are not monkeys such as occasionally lend added terror to the london organ-grinder but creatures running to the length of three feet from head to haunch and of aspect preternaturally sagacious flocks of goats meander through the streets big well-formed handsome beasts bullocks are used as beasts of burden but the cow like the pope leads a merry life 
i suppose the cows belong to somebody but they walk about the streets as if they were ground landlords they are small cattle plump and well favoured forming a strong contrast with the thin and careworn human population amongst whom they indolently pick their way they stroll down the centre of the narrow thoroughfares through the bazaars frequently stopping the traffic types of the idolatry which bars the growth of civilization i met one one morning strolling through the bazaar shouldering everybody out of the way suddenly she caught sight of a basket of greens which a woman was peddling on the roadway without saying by your leave the cow stopped and critically turning over the greens selected a young and toothsome cauliflower the poor woman feebly battled with the marauder but the cow took no notice and did not budge till it had its cauliflower when it resumed its morning stroll through the bazaar the cow it is well known is one of the idols of hindu worship and if the woman's god wanted a cauliflower it would have been sacrilegious too strenuously to resist the desire close by where this uncommercial transaction in green market stuffs took place there is a temple where under the portico half a dozen bulls are kept literally in clover the place is much dirtier and smells more vilely than an english farmer would like to have his cowshed but the beasts seemed placidly happy reflectively munched their grass wondering what they did there and in their slumbers babbling o'er green fields the cow in bronze figures in various sizes is in most of the temples on the pavement near one of extra size and super sanctity i saw two men playing dice as for the temples themselves they are more especially to the traveller fresh from the gorgeous fanes of japan in all ways despicable at best they are so crowded in among other buildings that any architectural beauty they might possess is lost to view in order to see the far-famed golden temple one has to ascend the first story of a shop on the opposite side of the narrow way before he can behold the domes which for the peace of his soul the maharaja runjit singh had freshly crowned with plate of gold for the most part the sacred places do not merit the name of temple being rather shrines a few feet high many of them are like deserted toy shops in which business has gradually dwindled down to the vanishing point and the broken-hearted proprietor has gone away not caring to take with him the small model of a cow the grotesque doll or the strings of faded marigolds which garland the tawdry shrine at all the temples brahmins abound in pursuit of their various functions the principal one seeming to be that of begging there are many things in buddhism incredible to the western mind but not least is the possibility of paying any kind of reverence to the lazy fellows who skulk about the temples bleed the pilgrims of their uttermost farthing and pester foreigners for the smallest copper coin buddha has many votaries in crowded india but the brahmins are numerically an appreciable portion of the numberless congregation they toil not neither do they spin and since they must live they unblushingly beg 
all their ministrations from the solemnest to the most immaterial end with outstretched hand palm uppermost we stood at manikarnika the sacred well of hindu mythology towards which from hill and dale teeming city and silent field the eyes of the pious hindu are strained hither as the first duty on entering the holy city the steps of the wayworn pilgrim are bent vishnu dug this well and filled it with the perspiration from his sainted body and into it mahadeva later dropped his earring so holy is the place and so powerful the grace with which it is endowed that its waters will wash away the worst of sins even murder is not too black a crime to resist its cleansing properties looked at with eyes lacking faith the holy well is a pit of filthy water the odour of which wafted upwards as its depths are stirred by successive pilgrims induces desire to get the inspection over as quickly as possible access is gained to the level of the water by a flight of seventeen roughly hewn steps two brahmins were officiating dressed in dirty white calico trousers charlies of faded finery and black headgear half cap half turban business was comparatively slack one pilgrim whose dusty feet betokened a long journey and whose villainous face suggested a special necessity for absolution walked down the steps and was received at the bottom by a brahmin who promptly sold him a handful of marigolds and took the money before proceeding further with the scheme of salvation the pilgrim holding the flowers in the palms of his joined hands dipped them in the water and then threw one half upon its surface where already floated hundreds of buds sickening in the fetid tank taking up another handful of water he stood with it dripping through his fingers whilst the brahmin rapidly recited a formula finally the pilgrim walked into the well and thrice dipped his head beneath its yellow evil-smelling water after which came again the inevitable coppers and he lightly ran up the steps whiter than snow though his sins had been as scarlet immediately after came two women who went through the same process on their own account and finally ducked a child who vigorously protested against the impurity seated by the well was another brahmin who if physiognomy be a true guide ought to have spent his nights and days in the well he had the most evil-looking countenance i have seen since i left san francisco there was about him withal a grotesqueness suggestive of the low-born villain of the stage who lays in wait for the fair maiden and would rob and murder her but for the timely appearance of sir galahad de montmorency on his head was a hat built up in conical shape till the diminishing peak reached a height of fully two feet round it were twined garlands of yellow marigolds the hindu's sacred flower round his neck were half a dozen strings of beads of various sizes his right hand was hidden in something like a sock with the toes downward at right angles from his wrist the counterpart of this i had seen offered for sale in the bazaar and i knew that it was designed to cover the hand with which he counted his beads 
some of these curious adjuncts to church service are decorated with the semblance of a cow's head sewn on at the heel part this holy man was content with a plain sock he sat cross-legged on a bench motionless and apparently lifeless save that as i stood a little distance off and made note of his dress i could see his weaselly little eyes furtively glancing at me he evidently thought i was sketching him which pleased him though there was higher satisfaction in the conviction that the episode would certainly not end without a transfer of coppers perhaps even of silver by the side of him upon the bench was a trumpet and a sort of tambourine slipping the sock from off his hand he took up the musical instruments blew a tremendous blast from the trumpet and vigorously rattled the tambourine i was so pleased with this remarkable man that i am afraid i behaved with injudicious liberality and the report of my munificence it amounted to sixpence in sterling silver being noised abroad the two brahmins leaving a fresh influx of pilgrims in the well ran after me clamouring for bakshish this well is the centre of shrines and holy places a stone's throw from my friend with the peaked hat and the cunning greedy little eyes is a marble slab in the centre of which are two small dents these we learn are the veritable imprint of vishnu's feet when he alighted upon the earth they are certainly very small in many of the temples the brahmins are employed in rubbing oil into the heads and bodies of the devout in one i saw seated an old man with a grand statuesque head patiently sitting whilst a muscular brahmin worked the oil into his pate close by here too is a more than usually sacred growth of the people a patriarchal tree whose once stalwart limbs drooping under the weight of far-spreading boughs were supported by a block of solid masonry built under them being saturday an ever-changing procession of grave elders matronly women young men and maidens were walking round and round the tree chanting a low strain every time they passed a particular point in its circumference they threw on it with their hand water taken from the ganges and carried in their lotas some varied the performance by throwing marigolds or grains of rice it seemed a particularly dull game of follow my leader but it is a serious religious function and good hindus would not see saturday's sun go down till they had walked a hundred and eight times round the peepul tree laved its trunk with holy water or cast upon it some offering of food or flour a goat had discovered the richness of the land and climbing up the masonry browsed upon the flowers whilst the pigeons coming down in swarms pecked up the rice nobody saying them nay bathing was going forward briskly in the ganges and it was notable how men and women coming up from their ablutions shrank from the touch of the christian in the narrow byways they flattened themselves against the wall and gathered in their skirts as we passed by if we had accidentally touched them the spiritual benefits of their morning bath would have been forfeited and they would have had to return to the ganges and go through it all again 
we visited the monkey temple which swarms with hideous bloated brutes who have a most ungodlike hankering after a kind of sweetmeat sold at the gates of the temple the temple itself is a poor place with a shrine that might easily be turned to useful purposes by the slight alterations necessary to transform it into an early english fireplace the monkeys when not grinning on the temple steps or making long arms about the courtyard for stray beans or sweetmeats or foraging among private dwellings which abut on the temple live in stately palaces of tamarind trees from the boughs of which they hang by the tail and jabber at their votaries we saw the shrine before which a goat is sacrificed every morning the blood-stained block and the flag on which it stood testifying to the faithful performance that morning of the ceremonial but far more interesting was the observatory built nearly two hundred years ago by the raja jay singh by whose stupendous instruments hindu almanacs are to this day constructed the observatory stands near the man mandil ghat on the banks of the ganges and is a striking object seen from the river it is reached by many steps leading to a courtyard the instruments as they are called give the place an appearance rather of a gymnasium than of an observatory there is a wall eleven feet high and nine feet one and a quarter inches broad set in the plane of the meridian by this instrument able persons can ascertain the sun's altitude and zenith distance at noon its greatest declination and the latitude another wall also set in the plane of the meridian is thirty-six feet in length by four and a half broad it slopes upwards from a height of sixteen feet four and a quarter inches to twenty-two feet three and a half inches following its lines the eye infallibly rests upon the north pole this brick wall is useful for ascertaining the distance from the meridian the declination of the sun or of any planet or star and the right ascension of a star the most curious of the instruments and the most colossal is appropriately called diganseantra it consists of a pillar four feet two inches high and three feet seven and a half inches thick surrounded at a distance of seven feet three and a quarter inches by a wall exactly its own height this again is encircled by a wall double its height and distant from it three feet two and a half inches the upper surfaces of both walls are divided into three hundred and sixty degrees and are marked with the points of the compass the object of this simple and attractive contrivance is to find the degrees of azimuth of a planet or star on the whole perhaps a good telescope and a quadrant whilst more portable would be equally useful but jay singh worked according to his lights and enjoyed high honours in his day the bazaars of benares are like the native quarters of all great cities the most fascinating places to linger in far above temples and ruins and the ordinary show-places which have honourable mention in guide-books they lie low in the shadow of lofty buildings sacred from the noonday sun the shops are constructed something on the principle in which a malay digs out a boat from the trunk of a tree 
a hole in the wall is pierced on the level of the street occasionally a few shelves are put up quite as often none the stock in trade is piled about the floor leaving place for the proprietor to squat as near the open air as possible and the shop is open for business in the larger establishments dealing in cloth and cotton goods there is space for one or two customers also to squat on the floor more generally business is conducted with the customer standing outside in the street in either case if all the parties engaged be natives the proceedings are conducted in a style calculated to strike terror into the heart of the timid passer-by shopkeeper and customer glare upon each other with flashing eyes they shout and rave and gesticulate till just when the order-loving foreigner thinks it his duty to go for the police the row suddenly ceases the customer takes a yard or two of print under his arm puts down a few annas and goes his way life being long and custom fleeting in the bazaar much time is by mutual consent whiled away in the practice of bargaining the shopkeeper asks twice or three times as much as he means to take the customer offers something less than he means to give and before the extremes meet at the line fairly marking the value of the goods an immense deal of shouting is done and an hour of an otherwise dull day pleasantly disposed of where europeans are the purchasers a tiers parti appears upon the scene this is the man who wants backsheesh for having brought the high contracting parties together it will be your guide if you have one otherwise any native will do who has seen you wandering about the bazaar and followed you up to a particular stall which you have selected without his assistance and even without knowing that he was following so deeply rooted is the principle of bakshish in the eastern mind that even in these circumstances the shopkeeper will not deny the interloper's right and when you have paid your money hands him a percentage on the first day we visited the bazaars a man got up on the gurry and rode into town when we got out to walk he followed us and as we stopped to make purchases at various shops he joined the party assumed proprietorship of us and claimed his bakshish at one place we bought some white muslin caps at an expenditure of six annas whereupon this fellow extorted from the shopkeeper two pice as his legitimate bakshish after this i took the precaution on approaching other shops formally to introduce this gentleman to the proprietor explaining that we had nothing to do with him or he with us and stipulated that if we bought anything he should get nothing this did not abash him in the least or influence his movements and i believe it was with unfeigned regret that the shopkeepers found themselves debarred from giving him anything they would much rather have done business in their own way and secretly resented this interference with their national customs an english resident told me when he took a gari home from the station his servant openly went up to the driver and demanded his share of the money payment all indian servants when making purchases for the household take their commission there is no secrecy in the matter it is done as openly and as much a matter of course as he takes his monthly wages 
i asked a householder in bombay what percentage of the charges in the monthly expenditure book managed by his butler went into that worthy's pocket well he said having carefully considered the matter he ought not fairly to get more than twenty-five per cent it would be interesting to hear the comments of a congregation of native indian servants on the story of gehazi that the prophet's butler merely for following his master's guests and taking as bakshish two changes of raiment and two talents of silver should be turned into a leper as white as snow would seem to them an unjustifiably harsh proceeding this chapter would with such a congregation prove an insuperable obstacle to proselytizing End of chapter thirteen